Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, America. Welcome to A Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Cliff Stewart, Ethel Lopez, and Lamont Banks. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing good. Doing yeah, great. Good. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, our phone number this evening is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. And wanted to just uh, remind our listeners that we are not attorneys, and a Just Cause Coast to Coast does not provide legal advice. So please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or a just cause coast to coast. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening right here on a just cause coast to coast. We like to invite you to uh, go to AJCRadio.com. Again, AJCRadio.com for archives of our programs. Uh, you'll find some interesting stuff out there as well as going to uh, www.a-justcause.com to find out more information about a just cause. I want to put a petition out there or a request out there for our listeners. Uh, If you'd like to make a donation to a just cause, uh, we are currently working on our 501c3. However, you know, if you'd like to make a donation because you believe in what we're doing as far as fighting for uh, judicial reform and fighting against judicial injustice, we would appreciate that. You can go to our homepage, click on the donate button at the top of the page, and, uh, and, and that will help us out a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, on our website, you'll find a lot of helpful resources. And for additional programming, you can tune in on se- Sunday mornings from uh, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Again, that's 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Progressive Radio Network. You can go to prn.fm and uh, pick us up there. And also, programming is available at live365.com for 24 by 7 programming. We ask that you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and go to change.org. Uh, you hear us talk a lot about the IRP6 story, and we're going to be uh, talking about that uh, in a little bit more detail here in a, in a few minutes. But go to change.org. There is an important, um, there is an important uh, petition out there mm-hmm. pertaining to the IRP6, and we'd ask your assistance there. So do a search on IRP6 under change.org. And the IRP6 are Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper. And so we just want to be sure that uh, keep them in, in your prayers, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we are going to talk a little bit more about that as well. Yeah. Later in the program, we're going to have Joyce Ann Brown. You know, there's a new show on BET called Vindicated, mm-hmm. And uh, I guess uh, she was on, what, last week? Yes, last Sunday. And so uh, I understand that it was a a really, really heartfelt uh, Mm -hmm. uh, show. And so Joyce Ann Brown is going to be joining us a little bit later to talk about her case and uh, and the injustice and all the things that uh, uh, surrounded that particular that particular situation. Right. So uh, again, welcome to Lamont Banks. We talked about that on Tuesday evening. Lamont is joining our our on air team as a uh, special contributor, and so we appreciate that. Welcome again, Lamont. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, so before we get into talking about 
the IRP6 uh, case. Let's talk about this uh, this this uh, situation in Missouri. You know the Michael Brown uh, shooting. Uh, what what do you I mean? What what do you guys think about that as far as what's going on in the news and all the coverage? And now you know uh, uh, prominent figures or so-called prominent figures are now starting to come out and mm-hmm. and make statements about this whole situation. What's your read on that? Well. You know, I looked at um, one story they had in the in the news today, and basically what it did is it did a comparison in in photos of the 60s, um, you know, civil rights movement and some riots compared to what's going on in Ferguson now. And I mean, they had the picture with the with the um, the police officers with dogs and, the you know, in a, in a black community back in the 60s. And they contrast that to Ferguson. And they had back in the '60s when they had a little uh, a little boy, a little black kid in the community. He had his hands up while the while the armed uh, police officers were coming down his street, and they contrasted that. And basically, what the article was saying is, you have all these things that happened 50 years ago, mm-hmm. and you look at the fact that they're still happening right now. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of people who they'll get up in the media or they'll get up in their common. Uh, their commentary and say, you know, hey, racism is not uh, like it used to be. There's no need for, you know, special investigations about racism or civil rights or anything like that. Even even to take it to the point where, you know, they're they're voting about voter rights for minorities. Mm -hmm. What you see is that nothing has really changed. They 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 took the ropes down that they were lynching black people with. And now they're using illegal chokeholds, but still you got the the feet of black men kicking at their death because somebody's somebody's killing them around their neck. You have you have children. I mean, this kid, Michael Brown, being shot by a police officer after first off, the police officer is cussing him out. Then and these are all accounts from, you know, eyewitness accounts. Then he grabs him by the neck. Then he gets into a scuffle with him, and, and that's the thing that gets me. It's like, okay, you want to put your hands on a citizen, mm-hmm. but then when the citizen fights back, which is his right, mm-hmm. it's like you don't have me under arrest. I haven't committed a crime. You have no right to put your hands off on me as an officer of the peace. But then when I fight back, your recourse is to shoot me and say I was resisting arrest, I tried to take your gun, whatever it is that this police officer is saying. So what you, you have all this. You know, basically these murders going on of the black community, then you have the people who are uneducated about their rights, then you have the police officers who feel like, you know, they're above the law and they become terminators of anybody in a minority community because they feel like, well, nobody's really going to say anything. These people are expendable. Mm-hmm. And when we look at it, that is exactly the case because yeah. nobody is coming out and saying, where is the police officer that killed Eric Garner in Staten Island. Have they arrested this man yet? We still, you do not, you have, suddenly that has fizzled out of the media. Yeah. You don't hear anything about that. Trayvon Martin, I exactly. mean, he might as well not even have died because it's like nobody cares about him anymore. Yeah. The, every time you see a black man or a black kid get killed by somebody of a different race, it's like it just gets brushed off. Yeah. Well, the problem you have, I think, is it's not someone got shot i mean if you get shot with one bullet that's a, that's horrific if a man is resisting arrest you shot the man 10 times mm-hmm. okay let's just digest on that one for mm-hmm. a second mm-hmm. 10 so 
after the first bullet, resistance stops. If hypothetically, which we know wasn't the case, justify nine bullets in this man's body. That's, That's right. right. That's insane to me. I mean, for a police officer to shoot at an unarmed person one time, mm-hmm. that it, there are such there's such extreme rules that are supposed to govern that they say you shoot an unarmed man, he's supposed to be using some martial uh, some martial act arts tactics on you that you just really cannot defend yourself anymore. You you should be on the ground on your back that there is nothing you can do as a police officer that you have to shoot an unarmed citizen? Well, the, the analysts on uh, one of the networks today made a, made a point, and this is tragic. They said the training of these police officers now is that it is to shoot to kill. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're no longer shooting someone to injure them, to slow them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his argument was well the position of the of the system if you will is that if we say we shoot to injure Mm -hmm. the cop may end up getting killed you know if we start trying to monitor that well here's the bottom line there should be rules for unarmed people totally separate from the mandate of training Mm -hmm. that these people are supposed to be receiving so the accountability level is all the way at the top. Yeah, and you know what, too? I, I, I look at this thing because this is what gets to me, and not just police officers, but you're talking about private citizens can can um, blow away uh, uh, a, a young black man, and, and it's okay. I mean, you look at look at uh, Trayvon Martin again, as you said. You look at the, um, the um, Jordan Davis, and, and now Michael Brown. And you had at the Al Sharptons and all these different ones that came out, each of these cases. You had Eric Holder make a statement and then go back and sit down and do whatever the fart he does. What you t- tell me, what is going on? What has happened since Trayvon Martin's case uh, situation here? What has changed? What has taken effect with Eric Holder coming out making his statement? What has taken effect since Obama came out and made his statement? Absolutely not a cotton-picking thing that I can see. Well, the rising up, for one thing, and it, now it's on a national stage. So... Let's not pat these people on the back for coming forward. This is an act of politics. Absolutely. It's not about, oh, we care. This is political uh, uh, positioning, if you will. Yes, yes. So we've come out now because now it's, it's, it's nationwide, yes. national coverage yes. all day long. Yeah. Well, then, of course, Al Sharpton is going to put on his suit. Yeah. And, uh, and the people in government are going to say, we are going to come out now because it's a political statement yeah. we must make. That is tragic. And, and, and the president and, and Eric Holder comes out because people are on their behind and the seat is hot. Absolutely. But you come out and make a statement and then you go sit back down and do not a cotton-picking thing. Absolutely. Now check this out. You know, one of the things that, that comes to mind is, uh, you, you know, you, you hear police officers and chiefs of police, they will come out from time to time and they'll say, well, it was a justifiable shooting and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, it, it all is political when it comes down to clearing a police officer, as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of st- uh, research on this. And, and you know, as far as the legal standards governing uh, justifiable force, uh, the um, Supreme Court has actually spoken up on this. And there, there is a, uh, a, a, an expert who, who has spoken on this as well. Uh, by the name of, of Klinger, and he says that constitutionally police officers are allowed to shoot under two circumstances. The first circumstance is to protect their life or the life of another innocent party. 
uh, with departments, uh, what departments call the defense of life standard. The second circumstance is to prevent a suspect from escaping if the officer has probable cause to think the suspects uh, committed a serious violent felony. And so there is a Supreme Court decision called Tennessee versus Garner. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it says that the case involved a pair of police officers who shot a 15-year-old boy uh, as he fled from a burglary. The kid stole $10 from a purse in a house. So the court said that cops couldn't shoot every felon who tried to escape. And uh, and then uh, uh, Klinger, the, the expert, he says that they basically say that the job of a cop is to protect people from violence. And if you've got a violent person who's fleeing, uh, you can shoot them uh, to stop them from flight. But in this situation, and, and even that's cold. I mean, but in this situation, there was the kid wasn't uh, – fleeing as a felon no he hadn't uh, committed a felony Mm-mm. uh he wasn't threatening another innocent party Mm-mm. and i like the term another innocent party because in this situation uh it's obvious i think that that uh, michael brown was innocent exactly right. you know uh if there was some mis- misunderstanding between him and this cop who is yet to be identified mm-hmm. um then that that's you know still but, well this you know and, and how can you prove anything i mean sure you've killed michael brown sure and so you're not going to get his side of the story they don't even want to interview the, the other kid that was with exactly. him exactly well, what that takes my mind back to in pueblo colorado um in county county jail now the difference from prison and county jail is that when you're in county the presumption of innocence mm-hmm. is supposed to be with you mm-hmm. Well, an inmate was taken to a medical facility for treatment. Uh, he then took an attempt to break away uh, for freedom. They shot this kid in the back and killed him. Now, he's, so they say, well, he's a felon. No, he's not. He's not convicted of anything yet. In county jail. Exactly. You're in county jail waiting for the due process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So someone please explain to me how this kid is running because whether he is innocent, mm-hmm. he doesn't believe he did anything. He hasn't been convicted by a jury. Right. Uh, and that, that even that doesn't mean guilt. Exactly. They shot him in the back three times. They what's wrong him. with shooting? I mean, if you have to shoot them, what's, what's wrong with a leg or, 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 or you know, I mean. And, and you know. Uh, there, there was, and, uh, you know, comedians, they, they, they try and make light of anything. And, and there was this clip that I saw recently uh, from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it was uh, Chris Rock, and he was, he was on, on somebody's show. And they were talking about somebody, you know, that the cops had shot someone mm-hmm. and, and, you know, to, to stop them from getting away. And then uh, the, the other comedian said, uh, you know, they shot this guy in the leg. And then, you know, uh, Chris Rock, he said he was white, wasn't he? And so, and 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 the and the and the host of that show, you know, he he had to admit, and and Chris Rock, I mean, even though he was making kind of a comedic, uh, making levity of of, of that particular mm-hmm, situation, mm-hmm. that is the case. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And and I'm looking at um at this article in the Huffington Post. Thanks for our, our uh, research team just sent me this. It's in the Huffington Post uh, by Nick Wang. And it came out today, and the title was When the Media Treats White Suspects and Killers Better Than Black Victims. And I won't even get into the story. Just mm-hmm. What they basically did is a, a comparison of white suspects to mm-hmm. black victims and what the media headlines say about them. 
So uh, here you have a white suspect. The headline, Alabama suspect, brilliant but social misfit. Black victim, Montgomery's latest homicide victim had history of narcotics abuse and tangles with the law. Another white suspect. Son in Staten Island murder was brilliant and athletic, but his demons were the death of his parents. So he killed his parents. Mm. A black victim. Trayvon Martin was suspended three times from school. A white suspect. Oregon school shooting suspect. Fascinated with guns, but was a devoted Mormon, his friends say. When I was a kid, and I know you can relate, I got suspended from school every year for fighting. I got suspended until my mother, until my, (laughs) until my mother threatened me and said, "You, you know, it's like you're not coming back home again. You better figure something out and stop." But go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, this is ridiculous. And Mm. another black victim. Police say slain Lakeland teen had been shot before. Death possibly drug related. Now this is a victim, mm-hmm. and all of the another white suspect Santa Barbara shooting. We remember this from this summer. Suspect was soft spoken, polite, oh. a gentleman. Ex principal says a black victim. Ohio man was carrying variable pump air rifle, not a toy, when cops killed him. The attorney general says you talking about a BB gun. Oh my! This is a victim. White suspect. Ohio shooting suspect T.J. Lane described as fine person, black victim. Deputy killed Marine out of fear for children's safety, officials say. White suspect, straight-A student plots to bomb high school, black victim. Shooting victim had many run-ins with the law, white suspect. Bank robbery suspect. Man, you're making the hair stand up on my arms. I'm getting, I'm getting mad. This is sick. Bank robbery suspect was outstanding Blue Hill student, black victim, police. Warren shooting victim was a gang member. You're talking about people who die, but all of these are wow. the contrast between here's white suspects mm-hmm. who basically committed the crime and, and the black victims who died, whether they were committing a crime or somebody shot them or something. To say the shooting victim was a gang member. So you go in his house, mm-hmm. somebody goes to his house and put a bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, basically what they're saying he is that's, yeah. that's what these black exactly. victims get. That's and it. this this shows the state of not just, I mean, the media shows the state of the nation. So this shows exactly what, they, they know what people want to hear. Let, yeah. let, let me add one there. Six IT professionals, mm-hmm. five black, one white, are incarcerated conducting regular business and being in debt. Yeah. Exactly. How do you White think? corporate executives built uh, customers out of billions of dollars, mm-hmm. and they get to pay a fine they and continue a, their lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. This right here, there's nothing. And I'm talking about, about the IRP six for those who, out there who don't know what I'm talking oh, about. Yes. Sure. And I just I just came across a, a story. It talks about uh, police officers, security guards, or self-appointed vigilantes kill at least 313 African Americans in 2012. The stat on that means a black person was killed by a security officer every 28 hours. America, black America, it's time to realize your Second Amendment right. You have the right to bear arms, protect your children and your family. Don't conceal it unless you got a permit, but you have the right to bear arms in this country. Strap you on a 9mm a 45, it is your American right. When they're killing our children, I'm telling you, everybody in Ferguson, read your Second Amendment, know what the law says, and go ahead and tell them I told you so. I ain't scared. 
And don't you be either. It's Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the IRP-6 uh, case and uh, the state of affairs there. Our phone number this evening, 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976. We don't make this stuff up. It's real. Y'all can, can go out there and look up. it up no for yourself. We'll be right back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. They'll see you before you see them. Cops are cracking down on drinking and driving. Drive sober or get pulled over. Our children are literally eating themselves to death. Many experts predict that this may be the first generation of children that doesn't live as long as their parents because of the problem of obesity. A quarter of American children don't exercise regularly. The average school-aged child watches four to six hours of TV every day, bombarded by commercials for fast food and junk. How you make these kinds of lifestyle changes in your kids is to make them yourself. Make the effort. Fight childhood obesity. A message from the Government of Canada. Can you imagine spending 20 years of your life in prison for a crime you didn't commit? Neither could I until I got the opportunity to portray Betty Ann Waters in the film Conviction, telling the real story of how she freed her brother Kenny. Sadly, what happened to Kenny happens far more often than you might expect. But together, we can stop it. Please join me in helping the Innocence Project fight injustice. Go to innocenceproject.org to make a donation and get involved. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration we spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice.
opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Just Cause, Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Ethel Lopez, Cliff Stewart, and Lamont, Lamont Banks. Uh, our phone number this evening, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. So let's bring our listening audience up to speed um, on the IRP6 case and, and the situation surrounding that. As we have been reporting over the last uh, um, shows over the last week or so that the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals came back with a decision basically denying the appeal of the IRP-6. You know, when you look at the points that were under appeal, the Fifth Amendment violation, you had expert witness not being able to, not being allowed to testify, you have over 200 pages of transcript missing, and, uh, and I mean, just the, the, the opinion that was written uh, up regarding this case, if you were to go out there and read it, I mean, it, just, it makes you sick because of the fact that they sidestepped the 200 pages of, of transcript, uh, the speedy trial violation, they copied and pasted mm -hmm. from another decision, and, and in, in that other decision, I believe it was the Larson case, mm -hmm. in that other decision, they went right down the line, and there are four points that could be considered for a speedy trial. In that case, they reversed it and remanded it back to the district court. In the situation of the IRP-6, they used the same verbiage. They said the same thing as far as the IRP-6 uh, meeting one out of the four factors, yet they denied the, uh, the, the, speedy, the speedy trial. Uh, and it's the the same judge that same writing that, judge that, that judge wrote, Jerome Jerome yeah, Holmes the same judge that used his opinion that says uh, your sixth amendment right was violated so it has to be remanded back to the circuit court you have to be retried if nothing else this same judge says your sixth amendment right has been violated but I'm not going mm -hmm. to send it back to the circuit court mm -hmm. I'm going to, to uphold the court. to the district court. I'm going to affirm your conviction. How do you, how does the judge review himself? Mm -hmm. That That is the part that continues to... The house uh, divided can't right, stand. Exactly. That is the part that continues to baffle me because I cannot tell you one day as a judge, yes, the law applies to you. That, 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 or rather, mm -hmm. that's the same thing as a judge saying the law applies to you mm -hmm. and then the next day saying the same law does not apply to the next person mm -hmm. in the same situation. That makes absolutely no sense. None. The law That's is right. the law. The Constitution is the Constitution. Exactly. And your right is your right. Mm -hmm. That it, it doesn't matter who you are. And that is why we continue to fight the battle for in the IRP-6 case, because everything that we see, there's a discrepancy around every corner. Yeah. You have the clerk of the court that's signing off on documentation. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Shoemaker is the only one who signed mm -hmm. on the opinion from the appellate judges. Mm -hmm. There's no judge's signature on this court document. Now, how do you say the appeals affirmed, all three judges 
they uphold the the uh, the conviction, mm-hmm. but they don't sign anything. Exactly. And then anybody can write that up. But it was the That's same right. thing with the bonds pending appeal. Mm-hmm. When we checked on when we got the bond pending appeal back uh, in their case, and you look at it and you like, well, only a clerk of the court signed on exactly. this. Exactly. Where is the judge's signature? And you, Ethel, you talked to the um judicial to the judicial assistant, assistant mm-hmm. and she told you that a judge has to see these documents, to. especially if it's a bond for for anything to do with a bond. Never saw one of them. Out of period. Four. Out of four. Four bonds pending appeal over the last two years, and the judges, by the admission of their own um, judicial assistant, which says that nothing gets to the judge unless it comes through her that's for it. filing and to to uh, for for trackability. That's right. Nothing gets past her. Before it gets to the judge, she's saying none of those four bonds for appeal have even have made it to the judges. Then how are they denied and signed off? And and the thing too, when you look at that, we're talking about we got a response back on the on the last um, bond um, um, motion for the uh, bond pending appeal. It came back on what a Monday afternoon. Yes, I'm talking to the judicial assistant on a Tuesday afternoon. She's checking the computer. She sees absolutely nothing there. We're talking even a day after it supposedly what has been has already been returned yeah. with a decision. Yeah, and it's still not there. It's like no, it never made it here. Never. So how did it get a decision? Exactly. These same clerks up in Denver, Colorado, the clerks of the court, Elizabeth Schumacher. There was uh, Don Kressler. He's gone now. Mm-hmm. So somebody else has replaced him. They they are a part of this whole mess. I mean, we had the court reporter, Darlene Martinez, who withhold the 200 pages exactly. of, of a court transcript. We got Judge Christine Arguello, who basically, um, uh, you know, told her, oh, well, we don't we don't need it yeah. right now. You can get it later. That later has never come. I went to the courthouse yesterday, mm-hmm. went to the clerk's office and said, I want to see the original shorthand notes. Now, anybody who's ever looked into the Court Reporters Act at all knows that the original transcript, the original shorthand notes are kept at the clerk's office. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be there within 90 days after the end of the court case, mm-hmm. and they have to be kept there for no less than 10 years. 10 well, years. at first, the guy that was there, he mm-hmm. tells me, we don't keep any of that here in the, in the clerk's office. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. That's, that, that's, we don't keep that. I said, I think you better uh, check your guidelines yeah, okay. and see what it is that you're supposed to be. Check that, that. the law. Yeah, and he said, he said, he said, no, I, I know that we don't keep that. And so I told him, I said, well, by way of the court reporters, like, you have to keep all original documentation, mm-hmm. unedited notes and everything from the court reporter. And then he's looking at me stupid like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know what you're talking about, but we don't keep that here. So I told him, I said, show that to me in writing. Exactly. Well, um, I can't show you our 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 uh, in-house policy. I said you have no in-house policy. This is a federal building. <laughs> That's right. Every, That's everything right. here. I said your whole process, what you do as a job, is open to the public. I pay your salary. That's you right. have to tell me what it is you're supposed to be able, you're supposed to be doing, and you better have it in writing mm-hmm. so that when I, as your you know pseudo boss, okay. come through the door, <laughs> can say, tell me what it is that you're supposed to be doing. What you and your boss are doing with taxpayer money, your whole, the whole judicial system. What are you doing with my tax dollars? Exactly. What process are you supposed to be following? So well, he gets quiet and looks stupid. And then, let me go get the uh, let me go get legal counsel. They can talk to you. I'm like, I don't need to talk to legal counsel. I need you to show me a piece of paperwork. 
Wow. And then he comes back, well, legal counsel isn't here. I've already answered your question several times. I said, I'm going to need you to answer my question again, but I want to see my question answered in paperwork. Yep. And then, you know, his supervisor comes out and she's like, well, uh, is there something I can help you with? And the, the, the irony of this whole thing, mm. even though I talked to nobody in that general area about the IRP-6 case, they all everything knew. they were talking to me about was the IRP-6 case. Exactly. Well, somebody came here about three months ago, and they were looking <laughs> for this information, and I'm sitting there talking later. I'm like, I'm like, okay, so if you guys have dealt with this before in a, in a different situation, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, why is it that your people don't know? And she starts talking to me about the IRP. Yeah, they were looking for the, um, they were looking for the, the sidebar. Uh, about this case, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, and you never mentioned. I'm like, I didn't say anything to you about the IRP six case. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, like here those people come again. They, they, you guys better be on your p's and q's because they're going to get you. We talked to the uh, to the supervisory uh, clerk, the supervisor of the clerk's office. Mm-hmm. He was upstairs. I called him up, told him, hey, this is what I'm looking for. These unedited notes. Uh, he asked me for the case number. I give him the case number. He comes downstairs. He has a CD, and he's like, he's like, this is a CD of the sidebar. I said, I didn't ask you anything about the sidebar. I told you the day of the court uh, during this case, I told you what day I wanted to see. So he's automatically, in the time that it took him to get downstairs, he had already talked to somebody exactly. about the IRP6 case. Like, those people are downstairs. You guys better get what we have on the sidebar. Take it down to them. I said, I asked you for the whole day. What are you, what are you talking about sidebar? I never even discussed the sidebar with you. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me go back upstairs and, and get the other disc. So they have a separate disc just for this sidebar issue. And looking through the files that he showed me, every, every file that he has in there is like, okay, um, uh, that, you know, like they'll have the date, 10-11-2011. Uh, full day final and it's it's one file and they have that on this disc they had all the way from april through like december of 2011 the only thing in there that that calls out bench conference there's a separate file in there with the bench conference in question that you know uh october 11 2011 bench conference I said, why is this file specially named? marked? Yeah, I said, why is this name separately, and why is it the only one in this list of files mm-hmm. that has a separate name? I said, I said, this right here is is somewhat suspicious to me because why is it that the bench conferences for every other day mm-hmm. are included in their day's transcripts? This file is separate from everything else, and you know, it's a new guy there. Uh, he basically, he's like, I don't want to get to it. He said, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I'm new at this position. I don't know what to tell you. And it's, but you know, you know that they already schooled him on. Yes. Don't give these people any answers. We can't answer their questions. Mm-hmm. Don't even mess with it. Tell them you don't know. Don't try to explain anything. And, and I thought that's so strange. Like, why is this no one kidding. file marked? As the bench conference, when everything else just says complete. Well, and Cliff, I mean, that goes right along with. Why is uh, the entire court proceedings mm-hmm. captured uh, as far as in, in a transcript, mm-hmm. yet this one piece, they one say, piece. well, you know, uh, maybe they were stand, standing right. too far maybe from the her, microphone. Maybe her maybe phantom headphones fell, it off. fell off. Or maybe this or maybe that. It's like there are a lot of, you know, why this and why that in this case. Yeah. 
that just scream, investigate me, investigate right. me. That yeah. is what it what yeah. it screams. And the the fact that you have any part of the transcript, especially a part where there's this egregious activity that happened where you have defendants saying a judge violated my Fifth Amendment right and it's in the transcript that's missing. First off, the Constitution says any part of a transcript, the defendant has a right to their record. Mm-hmm. If any part of that is missing, you have to overturn the case. There's, mm-hmm. there's no question. For these appellate judges to take this situation where you're saying my Fifth Amendment right was violated and you don't have a record of that, and the judge, even if the judge didn't admit mm-hmm. that she said something but it wasn't there, that, would, that should still hold no bearing. But mm-hmm. the fact that the judge says, I said something... I don't remember what it was, and by the way, it wasn't captured in the transcript. To have that information and not deal with that, mm-hmm. that is sickening. Here's the problem you have. Let's take everything that you've said off the table right now. A defendant must be found guilty mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes. Now, just listening to the transcripts issue right now, there is doubt here that that – we have an issue and That's serious doubt. So it, I, I, it boggles my mind that we sit here beyond all reasonable doubt. Now, if that is the case, then the RP6 should not be behind bars right now. Absolutely. And I was explaining to someone the other day, the judge has the power. Mm-hmm. Any judge has the power that if a jury comes back with a guilty verdict that is absolutely unreasonable, mm-hmm. it is clear in front of your face that there's reasonable doubt every corner you turn here in the RP6 case. The judge has the power, if a guilty verdict, guilty verdict comes back, to say, I am setting aside the jury's mm-hmm, verdict mm-hmm. as a matter of law. This is the oath they took when mm-hmm. they went into office. This is what they are supposed to do. Right. How, how that happens and how three judges who also took an oath. Exactly. Take no action to say, I set aside this injustice. Bog- boggles the mind. Yeah. Where you well, know. What the- Go ahead. Lamont, I mean, e- even Judge uh, Arguello, in the record, not, not to even talk about the fact that she had this conversation with, it, uh, with court reporter Darlene Martinez regarding the fact that there are 200 pages and that she wasn't going to make, make those pages available to the defense. But then Judge Arguello is also on the record as saying, well, I said something, but I don't remember what I said. And that's enough right there. And then yeah. Judge R. Brooke Jackson, in his opinion, and in his ruling in the civil lawsuit that we brought against uh, Darling Martinez uh, on this uh, transcript situation, Judge R. Brooke Jackson said there is no dispute that something uh, it was said that was not captured. So uh, you're confirming Absolutely. Everyone's confirmed, and then Absolutely. the Supreme—I mean, the Supreme Court—the uh, appellate court mm-hmm. comes back and reiterates all these points mm-hmm. in their opinion. But then, in so many words, they say, "Oh, but that doesn't matter." It doesn't make any sense. It absolutely doesn't make any sense. But that's why—that's uh, why she felt that she could get away with doing that because she knew that the appellate judges were going to stand with her. I mean, and that's usually that's what they've said. I've read it several times that those judges, that's what they do, because they know that the appellate judges are usually going to uphold whatever it is that they have done. And that's where the change has to happen. It has to. That's where it has to. They know that the appellate judges do not want to push anything back down to the uh, to the to the district level. But if you have a miscarriage of justice, you have a miscarriage of justice. You don't have a choice. 
Michael Jordan said. You don't have, we don't have a choice. No. We have to push it back. We have to. There is, there is nothing else to do. You have missing transcript. The Constitution says every defendant has a right to his record of what happened at yeah. his trial. If I don't have that right so that I can fight my appeal, what, there's nothing else you can do. Exactly. Well, and this just sets the stage, Cliff, for any judge anywhere mm-hmm. to say that, okay, that's going to be a point of contention once, we, once this trial is over. That's right. So I need to make those pages disappear. I need to be sure that 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 uh, that transcript is not available. And then when it does come up, then, you know, well, we got this case in the 10th Circuit that's, yeah. that's precedent, you know, that says that, uh, well, the, the fact that, yeah, we used to say that uh, in light of transcripts missing and so forth, you have to reverse the case and so forth and so on. But now, you know, they made this ruling in the 10th Circuit that said, well, everyone's saying there's something missing, but. We're going to uphold this conviction. Exactly. That's right. It, set, it, it sets precedent mm-hmm. that you can not only uphold a conviction with transcript missing, but the defendant can make any claim he wants to. Like all, just like you say, Sam, all the judge has to do is say, court reporter, take that part out of the That's transcript. It. And That's it. I mean, they can. you could have a judge cussing you out, um, you know, basically threatening to murder you. Anything they want to, tell the court reporter, mm-hmm. take that out, and... They'll uphold your conviction. Rest assured. With no matter what the Arguello judge will not get away with that. With, wow. with that. Well, Rest this, assured. This crosses the – this is – there are certain things in, in law or in the system of this uh, government. There are certain things that are uncrossable lines that you do not cross. Yeah. Right. This meets that criteria. This meets exactly. That criteria. And that, that – well, I believe that's why justice will be done here because they have crossed the line so far over, there's no getting back from that. That's right. And Ethel, I know, uh, real quick, give out that phone number for Attorney General Eric Holder. I mean, we need to have people oh, yeah. to jump on this. They need to make a call. I mean, it's gotten worse. I mean, we've yeah, had a lot yeah. of stuff for them to, to to call the Attorney General about, but even this just makes it even worse. Absolutely. Um, Attorney General Eric Holder's number is 202-514-2003 and 2005. Call him. You hear the conversation. You hear what's going on. Give him a call and ask him investigate what is happening with the 10th circuit here in colorado we're going to take a quick break uh this is the just cause coast to coast where we bring you education awareness and information about judicial injustice our phone number this evening 347-838-8976 we're giving some highlights of the uh of the ir or updates uh of the irp6 case as we go to break we're going to bring a, a, a let you listen to a little short clip from uh the Honorable Judge H. Lee Serkin, as he makes a comment about, you know, transcripts missing and, and, you know, what the court obligation is. We'll be right back. I think an appellate court would do one of two things. They'd either order that the transcript be produced uh, or they'd have to reverse you know, it would baffles me as to why anyone would deny that motion. Uh, it's inconceivable to me that a judge would say, no, you can't have the record of this trial. Every crime has a victim, and every victim needs help. Being violated by a crime can leave you feeling alone in the world. National Center for Victims of Crime can help. Let us be your resource, your support, your guide to rebuilding your life and restoring hope. Yes, you have the ability to recover. Take the first step. Call 1-800-FYI-CALL 
or visit us at www.ncvc.org. Hi, I'm an actor, and that qualifies me to talk to you about social issues. And even though my opinion is controversial, I believe that racism is wrong. Now today, what I would like you to do is take a look at your skin color and hug somebody that has a different color skin. We can stop racism together, one hug at a time. Definitely ask permission before you hug somebody. Thank you. me, I still have to finish my research project and my parents' divorce is tearing me apart. Does this sound like you? I just feel hopeless. Someone is always there to help. Don't give up. When you feel like you don't belong, talk about it. Never keep things locked inside. If you need help, please call the suicide hotline number at 1-800-273-8255. Your life matters. Don't give up. Just Cause, Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Ethel Lopez, Lamont Banks, and Cliff Stewart. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule this evening to spend with us right here on a Just Cause, Coast to Coast. Our phone number, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, if you have some questions or comments, is 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976. Uh, we talked at the top of the program and, and uh, mentioned the fact that we have a guest that's going to be joining us, and she is on the line now. Uh, if you watch the program Vindicated on BET, uh, we're talking about Joyce Ann Brown, and uh, they featured her story of injustice uh, that she suffered uh, several years back. But uh, we are happy to have Ms. Brown on the program this evening. Welcome to the program, Ms. Brown. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you all doing? We are doing Great. wonderful. Thank we you. are doing wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, again, thank you for taking time out, and thank you for adjusting your schedule uh, to, to be with us uh, this evening. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you, you know, your, your case. We know that, you know, it, it, uh, uh, in 1980 uh, is when, when everything started to go crazy in your life, and uh, you were sentenced to uh, 25 years to life for something that you did not do. Give our listeners a little bit of uh, background on that situation. Okay, I'll give you background. I wasn't sentenced to 25 to life. I was sentenced to life, period, which meant that at that time you would do 20 calendar years before you were even able to talk for parole, and I had just simply made up my mind Mm -hmm. that I was, unless something happened, unless somebody came to my rescue, I was going to do 
a life sentence and come out in a pine box. I had already started to prepare my family for that because in Texas, you have to say I'm sorry, you have to show remorse, and you have to admit to the crime that they had charged you and convicted you of before you could even have an opportunity to talk for parole. I was never going to say I was sorry. I was never going to show remorse. I didn't have a reason. And I certainly was not going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. So after maybe five years, I started preparing my family Mm -hmm. that I might just simply have to come out in a pine box. I didn't want them coming down telling, asking me, uh, talking about it because there was no way that I was going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. Absolutely. In 1980, in Dallas, Texas, two black females walked into Fine Furs by Reuben, robbed the store, shot and killed the owner. It happened May uh, 6, 1980, and the car was rented to a Joyce Ann Brown, and uh, I worked for a first store. I worked for Coslow first, one of the upscale uh, first stores uh, in Texas. Mm-hmm. May 9th, 1980, I was getting ready for work, getting ready to come to work, and one of my friends called me and said, Joyce, are you all right? I said, I'm fine. And so she said, oh, okay, and she hung up the telephone. And then a few minutes later, my mother called me. She said, Joyce Ann? And so she, I said, yes. I said, why are you calling me so early? And so she said, are you all right? I said, yeah. She said, Miss Manny just called me and said that they're looking for you in connection with some kind of robbery. So I said, girl, get out of here. I said, somebody's playing a joke on you. And... um I hung up the telephone, and I called Miss Nanny, and she was an elder lady who would be well in her hundreds if she was still alive today, help rear me as a child. When my mother said Miss Nanny, I, I, it, it, something went through me, but I still thought that maybe, I don't remember her going to school. Can't she read? Could she write? Maybe she's now. but when I heard her voice, and she said, baby girl, I'm reading in the paper that they're looking for Joyce Ann Brown of 3106, and I stopped her because she was too close to home. Mm-hmm. said, Miss Nanny, let me go out and get a paper myself, and I'll call you right back. I went out and got a paper, came mm-hmm. back and called Miss Nanny, and we was reading in the paper that they were looking for Joyce Ann Brown of 3106 Burning Tree, and that I had fled to avoid prosecution. And I was saying, Miss Nanny, I'm right here. I'm at home. I'm getting ready to go to work. I haven't went anywhere. And so I said, let me call and find out what's happening, and I'll call you back. And what I did is I called a vice officer that I knew. And I said, well, I asked for one officer, and he wasn't in and the voice on the other line said, Joyce? I said, yes. I said, who is this? He said, this is Lieutenant Walt. 
I said, well, I'm reading in the papers that they're looking for me for some kind of uh, robbery or something. And, and so he said, yeah, he said, we've heard the same thing, but we told him it wasn't our choice. And so I said, look, I don't know where I need to go, but I'm coming down. I'm coming to you, and I want to straighten it out. And by the time I hung up my telephone, it seems that everybody in Dallas, Texas was calling me. And I said, I'm getting ready to go straighten it out. And it was an attorney named Carl Gaines that I knew. He said, Joyce, no, you're not. He said, not without an attorney. Mm -hmm. He said, if you can't get in touch with your attorney, the hex with ethics, I will go down with you and I will represent you. He said, this is not, he said, this is serious. And then I said, well, why, what do you mean? He said, they're looking for you for capital murder. I said, what? He said, capital murder. And so I said, well, let me call Robert Rose. I called Robert Rose, which was my attorney, and he says, Come, go to my office. I'll meet you at my office. And I went to his office. When I got there, speakerphones had just gotten popular. And he picked up, he hit the speakerphone and threw up both of his hands as if they could see him. And he said, we're coming in. I'm bringing her in. She don't have a knife. She don't have a gun. She don't even have a hairpin. And I'm thinking, has he went crazy? What is he talking about? And so when he got off, he said, Joyce, this is serious. I'm going to walk you through the first part of it, and then we're going to have to find somebody that handles capital murder cases. And he took me to um, uh, he took me to the police department. And when he took me to the police department, uh, my, the, the guy that I was talking about, the vice officer, Walt, uh, said, uh, I have to take your purse. And Walt knew me very well. What do you mean take my purse? And so he said, I've got to place you under arrest. They're not, I thought they were looking. They're not just looking for you. They have charged you uh, with capital murder. And, huh? Pardon me, Miss Brown, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. At this point, this is Lamont, by the way. Uh, uh-huh. I, had the pri- I had the privilege of watching the documentary on BET on, on, on last week, and I'm telling uh-huh. you, I, I have such a great level of respect for you and what you have gone through. At this moment, share with the, our listeners, uh, what is going through your mind? How are you able at this point to keep it together? At this, I mean, this is a... A tsunami. This is a tornado that's coming through so fast. How are you able to maintain? What are you thinking at this time? What's on your mind at that moment? At the moment that they were arresting me? Yeah. At the moment that they were arresting me, uh, what was going through my mind was that I was an innocent person. I did not rob that store, so I didn't have anything to worry about. I see. Until... Until I sit in that room for three hours. You know, when I called in, that's when they went to my house and round-checked it, 
found nothing. There was nothing there for them to find. And then came back, and I had sit in the in the um, office for three hours waiting on them to come back to talk to me. And when this white male came in with cowboy boots and the coat with the big patch on the sleeve and the cowboy hat, mm. he wanted to know where was the furs. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I work for Coslo Furs, and he called me a liar. At mm-hmm. that moment, the interview was over. Nobody mm-hmm. was going to stand in my face and call me a lie when I mm-hmm. knew I wasn't lying. Absolutely. And that's when he said, Booker, mm. and said, Booker for capital murder. They booked me for capital murder and put me under a million-dollar bond. Oh, my God. So so um, the, the wife of the store owner um, um, is, uh, said that, that, that you had you'd done this, that, that she um, what, basically... What happened said, was they gave her a picture of me just as the hospital had called to tell her that her husband had passed. They were there. Oh. Gosh. And she and he the I'm told that the guy said, This is her. This is the girl and she said, That's her. That's the girl that was with the young lady that um shot and killed my husband. Mm-hmm. And um and that was it. And and, and I ended up with a capital murder. Wow. Was in jail for fifty nine days. And before we the bond dropped, we made bond, and I came home uh, oh to go to to court from from the streets. So, what, what what at this time? Okay, where where's your lawyer, and 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 is is your lawyer the same one at this point no. that brought you in? No, the the courts appointed me Carrie P. Fitzgerald, one of the toughest and the baddest lawyers. At that time in Dallas, Texas, and then he became later in in years he became a judge. But when Carrie um, Carrie came to see me, and um, I said I didn't commit the crime, I didn't do it, and he says, "Well, they they're offering you a plea of twenty years if you plea bargain." If you go to court, you're looking at death, no less than life. And so I said, they appointed you as my attorney? And he said, yes. I said, okay, I don't want an attorney. They don't believe me. I didn't commit this crime, and I will never, ever admit to a crime that I didn't commit. So if you're not ready to work, then you need to walk away. And he accepted he accepted the case and they began to work and I went to trial eight days. Thirteen Anglos testified that I was at work. Time cards proved that I was at work. They the district attorney said that I left work for at lunch, during lunchtime, drove three and a half miles, 
in the process of changing clothes, drove three and a half miles, robbed the store, watched the man shot down like a dog, got back in my car, and drove three and a half miles back to my business where I worked at Coslow's in seven and a half minutes without being missed. Totally impossible. Now, Ms. Brown, uh, Lamont here again, uh, as I'm sitting here listening to this, okay, did the attorney object? There's certain areas in a a trial that you know, okay, that's Mm -hmm. absolutely, as you say, impossible, can't happen. Mm -hmm. Did, was there an objection? Was there a your honor? Uh, that was everything that you can imagine from wow. an attorney. And uh, even the bailiff had been a police officer for 27 years before he retired. He came over to Fitzgerald, the attorney, and said, if that young lady says she was at work, he said, it's totally impossible with the drive time. He said, I believe her. When the I went to court eight days, mm-hmm. Fitzgerald won his case. Nobody can tell me anything, but we're in Texas, and I was a black woman in Texas and, 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 and was charged with capital murder. When the jury came back, and said, we find the defendant guilty because they couldn't find me guilty of of capital murder, of aggravated robbery in which a murder occurred. Right. I went into shock. I couldn't believe it. I had been there eight days. I know Kerry had won his case. There was no way. When I came out of the twilight zone or wherever it was I was for a moment, Mm-hmm. He was shaking me, and he was telling me, I won that case. They took my case. I am going to fight until I see you free. Those mm-hmm. were his words to me when I came out of that twilight zone, back mm-hmm. to sure. reality, that these people had had found me guilty of aggravated robbery, and they accessed punishment had life in prison, oh and God. I told my mama, I'm never going to admit because I didn't do it, Right. and I'm going to fight them for the rest of my life. If I leave prison in a pine box, all I wanted my family to do was to fight and clear my name, but mm-hmm. see, God didn't see it that way, and mm-hmm. I came home. After spending nine years, five months, and 24 days in prison, when Jim McCluskey from Centurion Ministries mm-hmm. uh, came to see about me. I had written everybody I could think of all over this state to come see about me because I didn't commit that crime. And I got a letter from Centurion Ministries. No, Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. At this point, I presume your post-conviction uh, relief efforts had all kind of uh, ended at this point. We'd be in nine years yes. in, right? It had ended, and what they what happened was 
They arrested Renee Taylor, the actual gunman. And when she came to, to the unit, Mountain View unit, where I was, I had been there about a year and a half. Everybody was coming by the dorm that I was in, and they were saying, she's on this unit. What do you want us to do? She's on this unit. And I said, that young lady didn't send me to prison. Malicious prosecution sent me to prison. She didn't go out and Mm -hmm. rob a store with Frank Joyce Brown in mind. Y'all leave her alone until I can talk to her. And mm-hmm. what happened was it was so much tension on the Mountain View unit, they called me to what was called the count office, the administration building, and mm-hmm. they called her. And for the first time in my life when I saw Renee Taylor, and she looked at me, she said, I told them that I didn't know you. I told them that you weren't with me. Mm-hmm. That's how she got a life sentence. She was in the process of going to trial, and when she told her attorney that she didn't know me, had never seen me before in my life, he told her if they gave that young lady a life sentence, they're going to fry you, and there's nothing that I can do. And mm-hmm. so she plea bargained for a life sentence, and they sent her to the unit where I was. And she said, I'll talk to your attorney. And that's how the ball got rolling. Mm-hmm. And with her, him coming down, talking to Renee and uh, sending out appeals only for Texas to deny them. Mm-hmm. And then Centurion Ministries came. And nobody can tell me it's not a God in heaven. That's the, right. The investigator yes. was walking through the door mm-hmm. at the at the at the courthouse, and there was a lady that dropped some files, and he, being a gentleman, reached down, picked them up for her, and was passed. She said, "No, those are concerning that young lady that you all are working, whose case y'all are working on, that's sitting in prison for nothing." And she went on about her business. And true enough, Jim McCluskey and them found a document that showed that the district attorney knew before I went to court mm. that I possibly was not that person. And mm. they locked it up for almost a decade before, wow. we were able to, before they were able uh, to get to it. And wow. that document is what... Uh, May the courts of appeals uh, reverse uh, reverse my case. Mm. Joyce, I have a question for you, and I'm I'm just curious. You 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 know this having taken place in Texas and all. What if you you remember what what was the makeup of the jury? I mean, as far as um, oh, right. wow. At that time, at that time, we didn't have a choice. Uh, at that time, I had an all white jury. But being brought up by my mom mm-hmm. and making sure that she had 10 kids and you weren't going to leave her house until you got an education, mm-hmm. I simply thought that it was just going to be some time out of my life. I was going to go to court, and these people were going to see with all the evidence that I had that I didn't commit that crime. 
the prosecutor, prosecution had an eyewitness, which was Miss Danger, the, the, the wife of the husband that was shot and killed, that said, mm-hmm. I look like the person that was with the person that shot and killed her husband. And they had a jailhouse informant that said, I came in and confessed to her that I mm-hmm. commit that crime. And I don't mean to be rude or ugly or anything, mm-hmm. but here's an illiterate person that couldn't read or write. When I went into jail, I went into jail trying to help people. And she said I came in and just picked her out and confessed to her that I committed that crime. How stupid do they think I am? Mm-hmm. And that was their that that was their uh case. Mm-hmm. Somebody that said I look like the person that was with the person and a jail jailhouse informant that said I um came in and testified testified to her that I committed that crime. I went to prison with a life sentence and the district attorney that prosecuted the case sent a letter to the uh board of pardons and parole and they released her, said that they gave her too much time, released her, and sent her home. And I went to prison uh, with a life sentence. But let me tell you, you have to know my upbringing. They chose the wrong black woman because I was not going to go down there and get complacent. I wasn't going to go to prison and talk about what I had when I was out in the world. I went to prison Mm -hmm. determined that I was going to fight this system for the rest mm-hmm. of my life, not just to get free, mm-hmm. but to prove to the world that I wasn't that boom, to prove yeah. to the world that I wouldn't have never committed a crime like that. That's and yes. that's what happened. I continued to fight. Others in prison were fighting with me, uh, helping me in the writ room uh, to find ways of, of, of getting my case back and forth to the courts, and it paid off. After nine years, five months, and 24 days of hell, I walked free. That's awesome. Awesome. And and so how, how, um, you know, um, how was things on the outside, you know? Well, I mean, your your family, everybody, what what kind of situation, you know, was back there, you know, waiting for you and so forth? I have a family. It's 17 of us in all children. And I am actually the oldest. I'm the oldest girl, so I'm the second mother to everybody. And I always have been ever since I was little. Um, Have always been the second mother uh, to everyone. And um, so my family Mm -hmm. fought. I was the only person in prison that during the nine years, five months, and 24 days, every, every two weeks, there was somebody to come see me. Mm-hmm. My mother made sure she had a list of when it was time for two of them to come. They could bring the children. Two others come the next, two others come the next. Uh, what She had a list. I had a friend that joined in 
And he called me, I mean, he wrote me and he told me, I'm coming back to see you, but I am not going to let your mother know that I, when I'm coming. He said, because, George, your mother started Thursday evening, and she called me clean up until I walked out of that <laughs> door and got in my car on my way to see you. Yeah, that's and so, you uh, I had the family support. Uh, yeah. that because my family knew that there wasn't me. They yeah. knew that there was no way uh, I would do that. You know, I had been the supporter. Those in college, whatever you need, you're going to get it, as long as you get an education. Mm-hmm. My sisters and brothers that was at home with me, as long as you get an education, because we had integrated, and mm-hmm. they needed more than my mother and them could afford. So I went out and started a new life in order to make sure that those kids got what they needed mm-hmm. to do what they had to do and get that education. Mm-hmm. And one of them, when all of this happened, she came up to visit me in jail, and she says, Big Sis, she said, we all enjoyed. Never asked you where the money was coming from. Never did anything but enjoyed life. Had everything we needed, could get in any sports or whatever it was at school. We knew we were going to be taken care of. We know we were going to be dressing. We didn't ask you then, and we're not going to ask you now or question you about that second life. Only thing we're going to do is stand behind you 100%. And that's what... um, what they did until yeah. this day November would be 25 years that I've been free not wow. one of them have ever sit down and talked to me about that other life yeah. and that's what I mean you gotta have and this is uh this is Cliff Stewart thank you so much Miss Brown for uh for coming on your story is uh heart-wrenching at the same time encouraging yeah and um you know that's what you gotta have you gotta have the uh the family that's standing behind you people who know who you are mm-hmm. and uh and, and just there for you we have a caller on the line that that uh has a comment for you uh we have Rose line you have a comment or a question for Miss Brown yeah uh, Miss Brown, I am so proud of you oh, and your you. and your stand as a black woman. They all say that you know that you're so strong or whatever. You know what? To make up in your mind, you had to settle in your mind. I'm gonna fight this with everything within me, and if I leave in a pine box. Then so be it. But you know what? I'm the mother of the six RP six guys that are in prison right now who worked hard. You trained your kids up right. Uh, you took them to church. They have faith and confidence in God. They worked hard working for uh, doing what they can, trying to help this country and building software for law enforcement. And when I hear you, you sound like the same person that I am. I feel like if you're right, you never give in. If you're wrong, need to acknowledge you wrong and go somewhere and sit down. But when you are right, you never. You know what? If right starts bowing to wrong, 
We don't have nothing left in this world. And when I listen to you tonight, I listen to you Sunday night on TV because I just got in from church and I thought I can't miss this because I remember the I remember when it actually happened to you back in the eighties. I mean before before this time. And when I and when I watched you on TV Sunday night, and my heart still went out to you and to your mom, and and how much pain she must have went through, and how you stood strong in spite of the fact that you were the one who was wrongly convicted. Uh, and and with the prison, you stood strong, and that's what I told our guys. I said, whatever you do, you don't give in. You fight until you win, and you will win because justice will prevail over injustice if you're willing to fight the good fight. And so to hear you tonight, I am I, I commend you. I mean, you are, are just I can't say you're one of a kind because I'm right there with you. So we two of a kind. Well, I am so thankful to God for what he has done for you and given you your life, and you're still reaching out and helping other people. And thank God for strong black women who stand up and don't say, you know, well, there's nothing we can do. There's always something to do when you're right. And it just means you've got to have an intense fight. But, hey, put on the gloves. Don't take them off. And whatever the cost, I'm willing to pay it so that my sons will be free. And they've been there two years too long from their families. Christian men raised in the church, worked in the community. One's my daughter's husband, one's my son, and the other men are like my sons because they've been in the church where I pastor for 20 years. When they told me you were going to be on tonight, I thought I have got to come on and say something to Joyce Brown. I am so happy for you. That well, God I thank you. you. But I told Olivia, I'm, we're going to stay in touch. And yes. whatever I can do to assist and help, I want the story. I want, I want the information. I'm going to get it from Olivia. I'm going to stay on this telephone with Olivia. If I have to make a trip up there, I am going to see what it is I can do to assist and help with the six. Well, honey, we appreciate it from the bottom of our heart. Our prayers are with you and with your family. When they told me that your son took his life while you were in prison and wanted to know, wanted to know Mama, are you ever coming home? My heart felt like it was being ripped out because being a mother, I can't even imagine. And then your son, you never saw him again. They wouldn't even let you attend his funeral. That is the most tragic, most cruel, most disheartening thing I ever heard of. I can't even imagine what you must have felt at that moment. That he he took his life, and there I was in prison, and couldn't even say goodbye to my son, that no doubt might would still be living today if they had not abused his mother. And I want you to know, Joyce, we love you. And we're standing with you, and if we as a people, especially black people in this country, if we don't stand up and make our voices heard and fight for what's right, they will continue to put our black people in prison and don't even have one shred of evidence. You don't even have to have, they don't have to have evidence to put you in prison. But God bless you, honey, my heart goes out to you, and I hope soon that we get a chance to sit down and meet each other 
and talking person because we as mothers can truly relate to the pain of being having your children uh, being away from you. And in your case, you being away from them, may God forever bless you, and we will stay in touch with you. We love you more than we can put into words. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you for your comment, Rose. And um, uh, Ms. Brown, we, um, we're going to take a break real quick, all compose ourselves here in the studio. This is a uh, very heartfelt situation, very uh, touching situation. We are going to take this opportunity to compose ourselves, and uh, we'll be back here in just a moment. This is AJC Radio, Coast to Coast, where we bring education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll see you on the other side.
talk, news, politics, and inspiration. The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Just Cause, Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman with Cliff Stewart, Ethel Lopez, and Lamont Banks joining us this evening and sharing her story, Joyce Ann Brown from Texas, from Dallas, Texas. And if uh, you saw Vindicated on BET uh, almost a week ago now, uh, you would have uh, uh, heard about this story, which, and, and you probably heard about it even before then, but it it's, uh, uh, brings it back to light. And uh, welcome to the program, Ms. Brown. How you doing? I'm doing fine, and thank you. Again, thanks for sharing your story. You know, one, one of the things that uh, jumped out at, at, at us is the fact that you refused to apply for, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, that you refused to apply for a pardon. And I understand, you know, from a, a principal perspective, I, w- I would guess, because the pardon basically is, indicate, is an indication that I'm asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. for uh, something wrong that I did or a crime that I committed. And it says here that, that that's exactly your position. Can you, can you share with our listening audience, you know, why you made that decision? Because I hadn't committed a crime. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what people say. You know, I, I, when I came home, I went to work for one of the most powerful politicians in Dallas, Texas, which was Commissioner John Wiley Price. And, of course, he had connections and doors could be open, and I probably could have got a pardon two months after I got out. But when, right. they, when he asked me about working on I said, a pardon, I said, wait a minute, what did you say? He said, we're going to work on getting your case, get, getting your case pardoned. I said, no, you're not. And so he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to work on getting it expunged. He mm-hmm. said, Josh, they don't expunge cases like that uh, in Texas. I said, Commissioner, I would never take a pardon. That's an admission of guilt. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. I said, That's a, what are they going to pardon me from? If somebody could tell me what they pardoned me from, then maybe I would do it. I said, but that's an omission of guilt, and if it has to stay on my record for the rest of my life, I would never admit to, uh, I would never admit to, an, to a pardon because that's an omission of guilt, and I don't have anything to be guilty for. 1990. In 1989, I walked free. 1990 uh, is when, uh, 1994 is when, 1990 is when they dropped the charges mm-hmm. and didn't exonerate, just dropped the charges, the 1990. February the 14th, 1990. February the 14th, 1994, mm-hmm. I walked out of the courthouse with an expunction of my record. I wasn't going to stop. And now, once me... again, there is a bailiff 
It wasn't. It, this was a court coordinator this time. The district attorney was over trying to get the judge to sign off and saying I had missed the court date that I was supposed to have been in court for the um, for the expunction and I never came to court. And the woman that actually sets everything, the court coordinator, she said, Judge, stay lying. I have never set a, a court date for George Brown to come over here for an expunction. And the judge called Carrie Fisher and said, you need to get down to the courthouse and you need to get down here now. He has yet retired, but I respect Judge Toll to this day because before he left that bench, he gave me my ex- and that's what I wanted was an expunction because I hadn't committed a crime. That's right. And you know why that's so huge in our eyes is because of the fact that uh, under Texas law, that's a prereq- prerequisite uh, to uh, receive payment for, for a wrongful uh, conviction. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that, that's just huge that you would take that stand because a lot of people would not take that type of stand uh, based on the fact that if you didn't do anything, why are you going to uh, admit to the fact that you did do something? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ms. Brown, let's take another call. And, uh, Cliff, who do we have? We have Kay in uh, Atlanta. You have a question or comment for Ms. Brown? Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's actually Q. Uh, but um, it's quite all right. Uh, one one quick statement. Uh, you, you know, it's unfortunate that I, I noticed ever since we voted for a mandate auto insurance that you have these micro cities and these uh, situations that are very lustful for convictions, even against some of their own, as, as, as what was just described a moment ago, even with some of their fellow uh, uh, coworkers. In, in, in the spirit of the law. And it's kind of crazy now because you you got people who really want to do this numbers game, and don't you work for the people? I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just ridiculous, especially with the micro city. But here's my question. Um, you know, with everything that's going on, uh, what's coming back around now as far as young folks are concerned is the hate, utter hate, for law officials. There was a time back when NWA or what have you where people was putting out, you know, forget the police, whatever the case may be, and that kind of subsided because a nice officer came around after that. He started changing his image. Now things are changing back. How do you guys see it being squashed this time around? Because I don't see a lot of law officials, which I blame city council for most of the problems of, of, of the city, but I don't see them trying to reshape their image. So how do you guys see it changing back or or kind of nulling down? Because this, this is getting worse and worse and worse and worse every week. Right. right. And uh, thank you for your question, Q. I mean, the, the only way that things are going to change is the people are going to have to rise up they're going to have to make their voices be heard, and they're going to have to force the change to happen. I mean, when you look at the movement in the 60s, you see that it, it took a million-man march on Washington to get something to happen for, so, that, so that we can get voting rights, so that we could get, have the right to use the same bathroom, so that we could have the right for all these things 
you know, and I'm, I'm speaking as black people, to, to just say that there is a perceived, and I use that word very lightly, a perceived equality, um, you know, for every American. And so the only way that we are going to bring any type of change to fruition is, is by a fight, is by the fact that we're going to have to go out and we are going to have to, you know, do legislative battle for the rights that we want. If we don't stand up for our rights, and I'm, I'm not just talking about black people, white people, I'm talking about everybody. As an American citizen, if you don't stand up for your right, you will have no rights. The more that you let the system trample on you, mm-hmm. the more the system will trample on you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just the, uh, the way it is. So and and uh, um, go ahead real quick, Lamont, because we, we have another caller in queue. I, I just yeah, don't want to leave. Wait. Uh, yeah, and I, I think, and I'll be real brief with that, I think we follow the motto of uh, Ms. Brown. I mean, she was told every negative thing mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't going to work for her. Mm-hmm. She stood her ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more Miss Browns around. Exactly. That's what we need because right. that brought about change. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I we, think that we have more of what we have to do is convince them. Yes. They wait right. on us. After 10 days, we slow down. Mm-hmm. You cannot go out. Fighting for right, and then in t- ten days or so, get tired, and then go sit down. That's true. That's if, true. If that, if that had happened, I would still be in prison today. That's right. Yeah. That's Absolutely. Right. You cannot get weary and well doing. It's a battle. It's a fight. Yeah. It is a war, and we must Continue. wait. We have uh, one of your partners on the line, uh, Miss Brown. We got Kimberly, who uh, wants to make a comment. Go ahead, Kimberly. Uh, good evening to the Coast to Coast family. How you doing, my sister Joyce Ann Brown? You know I'm gonna I'm call going in down. with a comment. <laughs> you know I'm gonna call in with a comment. And my comment is uh to build on what you were saying about um once you was freed and what the state wanted you to do. I want the listening audience to know that there is a national ca- campaign going forward for Texas to pay Joyce Ann Brown. They have mm-hmm. yet they have yet to give Joyce Ann Brown restitution. Uh there was a bill put before the Texas House and it was passed by the House on the Senate and the House of Representatives side. Someone forgot to put that bill on the docket. So that bill died. Mm-hmm. And during that time, Miss Brown family and friends, she had at least three judges testify before your state representatives. But of all that testifying, what hit me the most was her mother. Her mother begged them white folks, pay her daughter. And when you see that, I come from the entertainment world. I was doing fine, making my dollars, whatever you want to call it. But when mm-hmm. I met Joyce Ann Brown and read her book and heard her story, I'm 15 years in. And one of the things that I hope I do before I leave this world is Texas pay Joyce Ann Brown. That's right. She deserves it. I mean, she deserves that and so much more because, you know, and, and that's what, you know, we talk, we talk about Texas a lot. When Texas do something good, we bring them on. But most of the time we have just, strange stuff that texas is doing as far as the uh the legal world is concerned and but 
they need to to reconcile some of their laws. I mean, some of the stuff going on there in Texas, it, how do you take an innocent person such as Joyce Ann Brown and say, we're not going to pay you because you never asked us to forgive you for something you never did in the first place? If I didn't commit the crime, then you owe me. Just just like you say, Ms. Brown, they should be coming to you saying, we're sorry, can you pardon us for the mistakes that we made? We're going to go. And, and these prosecutors with this blanket immunity, this has got to go. For a prosecutor to withhold the evidence that he already knew you were innocent, and then for, for uh, now the state of Texas not to deal with that and not to say, hey, we owe you for, for you know, the time you spent for, for, for nine years, 25 weeks, and, and six days behind bars, they owe you for that, they, Senator and that's, Ellis uh, passed a, a compensation bill back, and it was retroactive just far enough back not to affect Joyce Brown, and that's because at that time I was in Austin fighting for those that was uh, innocent in prison fighting uh, for those that was being abused by the uh, uh, this drug task force, all of that, and a senator and I had some words. And it got on the news, all of that. And I'm not, I'm just saying that I, I have a problem that when that bill passed, that particular senator was the chairman of the committee, and it made it retro, and the, the committee made it retroactive just far enough that not to affect Joyce Brown. Now it hurts me because it hurts some other people um, as well, and mm-hmm. they uh, uh, it's about thirty of us that has never been paid. I'm not the only one. When I go to Austin, I'm not just fighting for Joyce Brown to get right. paid. I want you to make it retroactive so those other 30 that you all got on the list can get paid as well because they spent time in prison for a crime that they didn't commit. Right now, I am trying to assist Kimberly because mm. her son is in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And so, but she has never wavered in the 15 years that I've met her for helping and working for Joyce Brown. And now she, as, as well as I, needs support when it comes to uh, me fighting the system for what is right and her fighting the system trying to get her, her son home. Yeah. Go ahead, Cliff. No, I was just going to say, uh, Ms. Brown, you know that uh, you have, you have, um, you know, you have fellow support from us. We'll, we, we, like you said, you're going to be in touch with us. We're going to fight this war oh, together yeah. because, because we have to come together. Uh, just like you say, we have to consolidate our forces and say, hey, it's one thing if we spread out all over the country, but if we consolidate our forces and say, hey, let's come together. Let's fight these fights together. Let's make let's get every voice that we have and join together in these fights to bring justice overall. I mean, for you and the other people who haven't been compensated by Texas, that that is ridiculous for them to make that retroactive 
just at getting back at you because they don't like the fact that you had words with uh with with one of the congressmen. That makes absolutely no sense and 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 in their uh in their vengeful acts against you, they've now affected these other people who yes, I right. mean and maybe they don't have the support system that you have. You have your family, you're you know, you you're a go getter, you're able to go out there and say, Hey, no matter what, Joyce Ann Brown's gonna be taken care of uh, even yeah. if I have to do it myself. These other people may not have that same support system, and what gets me is that they don't even take that into account. They don't, they don't care. That's the bottom line. They don't care don't about care. Kimberly Jenkins' son. They don't care about other people who are, uh, who are incarcerated wrongfully, who never committed a crime, who are there. All they look at, especially these prosecutors, is that we've got to have this, this 97 98 99% success rate we have to have that, and no matter what we do, we have to maintain that. If we have to break the law to maintain it, if we have to rob, steal, kill, and destroy, we must maintain it. If we have to take people who are innocent and lock them up and remove their voice, we must maintain it. Those are the type of things that we have to, uh, that we have to fight together. Now, I'm, I'm sure probably at, at this time Olivia is probably uh, already in conversation with, uh, with Kimberly um, to get her as a, you know, to be a featured guest on the show to get her whole story. But it, when you look at these things, it's just, it's just absolutely ridiculous that they're in their vindication against you. They're affecting thirty something other people. And, and you know, and they're, uh, they're affecting other other people. And and I am going back. I'm not giving up. January, the the it will open up again. I will. I'm going to. I'm knocking on the door. Now, 1.8 million, according to BET. Mm-hmm. Watch that show. Yep. My phone has not stopped ringing since the show came on. I want that 1.8 million to stand up. And if uh, 1.8 million, if we stood up, we would have some justice that in this really world. You're going to make a little noise with that. Yep. The highest rated vindicated episode in two seasons. Oh, and it was. 1.8 million people tuned in. Yeah, I watched it. And, in, uh, and you know, Ms. Brown, I, I think one of the things, too, and, and you're hitting, it on, uh, uh, hitting the nail on the head in the sense that, you know, people don't get involved. And, um, and and they take the attitude, and it's a, it's a, it's a shameful attitude. It's a sad uh, state of affairs in the sense that if it, if it hasn't happened to me, uh, if it hasn't happened to someone uh, that I know, then, you know, it's not of any interest to me. Well, one of the things that we continue to talk about here on a Just Cause Coast to Coast is the fact that um, it can happen to you. I mean, look it at can your can and it will. Absolutely. And, and if it doesn't touch and you directly, it's going to touch somebody that you know. That's one of the things people don't realize is that, you know, uh, a wrongful incarceration or an incarceration at any rate, it touches more than just that person who spent time in prison. Like, like you were saying before, okay, you were in prison for nine years. A lot of major situations happened in your family while you were incarcerated. It didn't yes. just affect Joyce Brown. It affected Lee Jr. It affected your, uh, your, your, your other, you know, your, your uh, other siblings. It affected the, uh, the, the baby side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and see, and I didn't realize that, and that's what I want people to understand. If I'm slow in returning your call or your email, that's because 
I had to deal with something because, right. I, you know, I just thought that my, fa- my my children was getting all the help that they needed was being taken care of when they were out here, and they were. But counseling, helping them get over the hump, I didn't realize that that wasn't happening until I saw BET. See, when I saw BET, I saw some stuff that you all saw that I had, didn't know about. When my daughter said we were some effed up kids because they had taken my mother away mm. from me, I didn't realize that they were going through those changes because when they came to the prison, that's just my mother and her way. She made sure everybody was smiling and grinning and happy because she didn't want me sad. Right. But so I had to, it took me back, and then I had to try to say, okay, do I need to? reach out to them now and find out do we need to get in a conversation and talk about it and make sure that if they still need it, if they still need it, whatever help they need, I need to still get it to how are they dealing with it now after 25 years. You see what I'm saying? Because right. I, had, I, I wasn't in the room. They wouldn't allow me to be in the room. So when my son and my daughter was talking, it just blew me away. It blew me away. I didn't realize they had went through all of those uh, all of those changes because I was sitting in prison for something that I didn't do. But I am blessed, and I am glad that my mother was that type of person that disciplined her children. And made them, my mother got a third grade education, and my mother's only wish was that her 10 children graduate from school and get an education. And she made sure of that. And that's what we got. And we can thank God for her every day. She's 90 years old and still in her right frame of mind and still running everything. You got to have her at the forefront. And what's true, Ms. Brown, is I'm listening to you talk. This is Lamont again. Uh, you know, I don't think people understand the horrors behind the wall. Uh, you know, I, when I hear you talk, I was uh, I was wrongfully convicted in Colorado for seven years. I did for a crime I did not commit. Uh, when mm-hmm. I hear you talk, I relate so much to you, but nobody understands the trauma and the horror behind that wall, especially when you know you weren't guilty of what you are there for. And I think people, again, your plea to reach for telling people, hey, we need to stand up. This is this not only happened to Ms. Brown, it happened to Lamont Banks. It happened to the RP6. You know what I mean? This, this is happening on a phenomenal scale. And we have to stand up. So when you're talking, I'm hearing, and you know what's sad about it is this is, you said 25 years ago, you, uh, you, you went free. And the family is still. Here's what's, here's what's amazing to me. Your passion, your heartfelt emotion, uh, the tears that I hear in your, in your, well, I can't hear your tears, but the emotion I see and feel from mm-hmm. you when you talk 25 years later. That's why somebody has to be held accountable for that type of pain put in a person's life. And not only, like you said, not only you, but your, your, your children and your, your siblings, 
somebody must answer for that. That's that's why a just cause is here. That's why organizations are here. That's why Joyce, uh, your your voice being heard on this broadcast tonight is so huge, because somebody has to stand up and speak. And I salute you a million times over. Well, I appreciate that, but I made a promise in 1986 to somebody higher than all of us that not yes. if, but when he released bondage, that I would spend the rest of my days fighting for those that was less fortunate. And that's the, in my eyesight right now, is the, those that, not, not just those that are innocent in prison, but those that go and pay their time and come home and we don't want them living next door to us, we don't want to give them a job so they they won't have to go out and rob somebody or steal in order to survive. We don't want them to have any rights. That's right. But I paid my time. I paid my, you know, I stayed, if I committed a crime, I paid my time. I spent my 10 years. I spent my five years. Whatever. Let me start all over again. So that's what math does. Find jobs, housing, get your counseling, whatever it is, whatever your needs are. And don't come out thinking you you can play. Because I've been on both sides of the the fence. And so if you want help, you're going to get it. But if you come in... Just thinking you're going to get a cushion, you got another thing coming because you will help me help you yeah, become absolutely. a productive citizen back in society. That's, That's great. Right. That's, That's right. great. <laughs> you got to lay it down the way it is. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah, it, it, it's good stuff. We uh we need we need more people uh like you, Ms. Brown, that that says I'm not afraid to fight. I'm not afraid to get out there and. Uh, whatever comes, whatever goes. Hey, you got to put in the work. Just like you say with the people that come out, they, you know, no, no matter what they looking at, it's like it's not time for no pity party. Whether you, whether you really did, not. yeah, whether you did it or not. Hey, it's time as as I used to say, you know, back on the block, it's time to knuckle up and let's go, let's go at it. You know what I'm saying? You got to, you got to do it. There's there's nothing else you can do but fight. If you stop fighting, you're dead. You you are and, and, you and are done with fighting. There's so many avenues. You know, if you're scared to get out on the line, financially help us. There you go. That's it. Send out some the, the donations. Let those of us that don't mind getting on that line get on that line. But we need your financial help. We need your educational help. Some people might not know how to write a letter to their congressperson. Draw up some samples of letters that we can use in order to get us some help or get the others that we're working for some help so that we can do something to corral this innocent going in prison. And don't you dare listen to me tonight and think that it's it's all right. It's not all right. That's right. Not only in Texas. But all over, innocent people are still going to prison. And yes, we're sitting around doing nothing about it. And you know, Ms. Brown, the thing, is, the thing is, I mean, for, that, the, the, that which people can do, they don't do. I mean, some of the things you're talking about, you know, don't even require people to do a whole lot. I mean, if they were to just set right. aside 
just a little bit time and look at what they can do they don't do absolutely and so i mean you're driving the point home uh, and and in, in the last uh a few moments here we just have have just a, a a few minutes before we have to close things out uh you were talking about you know financial contributions if you know how to write a letter if you know how to i mean if you're an attorney out there and i mean this falls in the category of a just cause uh as well as your organization there are attorneys out there that part of their mantra is that they give back well, it's like trying to find someone to do a brief or to write a writ or something. It's like pulling teeth. It's like if you're not going to pay me, we ran into that in Denver mm-hmm. with the black bar. Mm-hmm. With, and with you know what? I just, I just got some emails today. I, BET, I, I just, just go down on my knees and say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that piece because now the the attorneys are writing me through email saying, I want to assist you. I want to help you. I want to do this. I want to do that. So Mm -hmm. now I can start up all over again. You know, after 25 years, you get tired, but I never was going to stop. Keep fighting. You keep fighting. You get tired because people talk about how good, oh, you're doing such a good job. But yet still, you walk away, you're not offering to help. You're not offering to do anything. Now it's like it sparked it all over again. Like God said, okay, you got 25 more. So what you going to do in the next 25? That's right. So so get out there and make those changes. So what's the goal of your organization, uh, MASS? Uh, What's the goal? And what what does that stand for? MASS stands for Mothers, Fathers in Parentheses for the Advancement of Social Systems, Inc., what I do is I don't only just work for innocent people in prison, referring them to different uh, projects, uh, innocent projects, and walking along with them to try to see if they're going to do the right thing by these people. What we do is we find housing, jobs, um, we deal with your family, we deal with your children, we get educators. If your children is having a problem in school, and need to be uh, need people to assist and help them. We we bring them into mass. We have a youth program. We bring them into mass and challenge them towards positive things. And 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 you know we got some kids that can bar- still can barely read or write. Uh-uh. We got we bring them in. We educate them. We do all of that counseling. A lot of our people need counseling. And some of them might be like me. I don't think anybody that don't look like me can understand and tell me what it is I need to do. So I have people of all colors that give out counseling, and that's where I send them to. And don't ask me about what it costs. It don't cost them nothing because they need it. They need to be able to talk to somebody that can put them in the right direction. So that's how I build mass, to deal with your problems, deal with trying to get you a productive citizen back into society. And I have a right to be angry. When I first came home, they kicked my door in. You know, if my child had been here, I don't know what would have happened. But I couldn't let that stop me from doing the work that I was doing, and that is returning and readjusting formerly incarcerated people 
I didn't say just innocent people. Formerly right. incarcerated people back right. into society, helping them, kicking that door down. Because when you go through it, oh, you got a background. When I go through it and sit down and talk to you, talk to the people in charge, I need you to assist me in helping me to some jobs. All I need you is some of your jobs, and I'm going to put the best because I'm going to screen them, and I know they go. I've got people that have been out 10, 15 years still on the same job that moved up in the company and doing fine. All they needed was a helping hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all right. That's good stuff. Right Joyce there. Brown um, doing, a, doing a lot of work there in, in, in Texas, and, and uh, we're happy that, that she took time to, to uh, spend a little bit of time with us. So, Ms. Brown, we really appreciate it. Uh, very yeah. inspiring, you know. And, and like you said, after 25 years, you're you're still in the fight, and and we got we need a lot of people to get in the fight. And like you said, 1.8 million people watching the television show. If you can't, I mean, get 10 percent of that, you got 180 thousand people that uh, can can do something. Absolutely. And so we we need that. All I'm so asking can, is for that one part, eight million people. If they send one dollar. Not two, not two, three, five. If they send one dollar to mass, then I won't have to go begging and pleading to these foundations. And then I can take that money, come up where you are, put some money there to assist the sick. I can go to New York. I can go to New Jersey. I can go a lot of places where there are innocent people in prison and assist and help them. Uh, and for those that's just coming home. They're having a hard time. And you know what, Ms. Brown? Out of that 1.8 million people, they spent way more than a dollar to watch you on cable. Absolutely. So, <laughs> sure did. I mean, let, let's just make it real. I mean, you know, uh, what, cable now is, is what, $50 a month? That's right. If each of those, Minimum. One, if the 1.8 million people, y'all go out there, buy the book, that'll yeah. help. That will yeah. help. Or send Ms. Brown a dollar. Send Ms. Brown a dollar. Ms. Brown, you're an inspiration. We appreciate you joining Don't us tonight. Don't send it to Ms. Brown. Send it to yes. Mass Inc. Send it to Mass. And the Mass Jab, M-A-S-S-J-A-B dot org is my website. Send it to Mass. Yep, send that dollar go. to Mass so that I can continue doing the work that I'm doing. Absolutely. Actually, reality, I didn't tell you all that I almost lost my life. Uh, you know, I'm still under the doctor's care. They was talking about amputating my leg. Uh, they were talking about all of that. But through it all, I never felt sick. I never gave up. And God snatched me. And right now, they scared to release me because they can't believe that my wound, that normally takes a year or a year and a half to heal, has already healed. I need to be back that's in right. the trenches. And so, so that's what he's sending me, back in the trenches, have already healed. I'm telling them. I'm tired of looking at the four walls. There I have you to go. move a computer in to work from here because you got me confined to these four walls. I've wow. got to do what I've got to do, and that's get out among my people. And that's not just African Americans. I got to get out among my people and continue to fight. And we're we're here right, we're right here with you, Joyce. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you for coming hey, on the so, show. 
Hey, and, and uh, if you'd like more information about uh, the archives of this program, go to AJCRadio.com, AJCRadio.com. Listen to uh, the, the clips from our interview with Ms. Brown. Also, we're going to post information on how you can reach out to her. we got like 30 seconds. we got to close things out. We really appreciate Ms. Uh, Joyce Ann Brown joining us. Uh, Cliff, give a, a quick little shout-out to a couple folks real quick. I want to say thank you to Joyce Ann Brown for joining the show. Thank you to our production team, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle, Dustin Jackson in the control room, helping out Ill Skillers Girl. Without them, you wouldn't hear what it is we have to say. Thank you. <laughs> To our production support team giving us the information we need to give to you. Keep the IRP6 in your prayers. Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper. This is Just Cause, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman for Cliff Stewart, Ethel Lopez, and Lamont Banks. Good night, America. Good night, y'all. Good Take night. care. Listening to AJ Radio.